John chapter 1. Let's turn there. John chapter 1. Now, if you looked at the bulletin, uh, it may have been a little bit misleading because in the bulletin it probably says that uh, we're going to study verses 35 to 51. That is hope. The reality for today is found up here, verses 35 through 42. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Let's get ready to read our text. But let me mention to you, first of all, that uh, in our last study, we were looking at the testimony of John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, the one whom the Lord called to be the forerunner to the Messiah, to fulfill that prophecy in the book of Isaiah that says, a voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. That's John. And his testimony was in pointing out that Jesus was in fact the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. And John faced all the questions of the religious leaders of Jerusalem, the priests and the, and the Pharisees and, and members of the Sanhedrin when they asked him, Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you any of the prophets? And of course John said, No, but I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. That's a tremendous testimony. And this morning, based on that testimony, the events that we see in the, in the portion of Scripture that we're looking at today, I, I want to awaken your personal testimony and the importance of that personal testimony of Jesus Christ in this world. So consider that we're going to be dealing with some very personal issues. One, in fact, is I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, but I'm very timid when it comes to telling people about Jesus. So what do I do? How do I do it? Well, let's look at this passage of Scripture and see that, in effect, it becomes for us an encouragement about giving our testimony of what Christ has done for us. In verse 35, and by the way, there's a, there's a chronology now that's a, that has been established for a few verses now, because when we first began the study in, in John, we didn't really have a chronology. It began in a, in a very different way than the other Gospels. John said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and we had to deal with the issue of eternity. But now there, there, there's a pattern taking place, and we're going to deal with the pattern a little bit more next time But, but uh, to, to complete this chapter. But now we've been given certain days. On a certain day, something happened. Then on the next day, something happened. So John is now establishing a chronology here. And here we find that another day happens. Again, it says the next day after the events 
of John's proclamation of Jesus being the Lamb of God. So again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples. And looking up Jesus as he walked, or in looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shall be called Cephas which is by interpretation, a stone. And so our, our attention has been directed to the testimony of John the baptizer as it pertains to the Lord Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. The pronouncement in verse 29 that John made, had everything to do with the Lord being the great sin offering. We talked about this last time. So John proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. And throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, the types and the shadows and even the direct uh, prophetic messages pointed to the time when God the Father would send the true sacrificial Lamb. And so now John declares, the Lamb has come. The Lamb has come. But it would be the following day, as our text indicates in verse 35, that once again, he would proclaim, behold, the Lamb of God. But this time, It wasn't about looking at the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. That was yesterday. But now, it is look at the walk of the Lamb of God. In fact, if you look at verse 36, it says, And looking upon Jesus as He walked. You see that? You're looking at me, but you see that? (laughs) It says, they looked at Jesus as he walked. So what we see here in this message to these two disciples that are standing with John is, look at the walk of the Lamb of God. Look at the walk of the Lamb. In other words, look at his life. Look at the life that he's living. Look at the manner of life. Look at the conversation and the conduct of his life. And look at the behavior of this Lamb of God. That's a mouthful when it comes to just saying, look at the walk of the Lamb of God. But it is so significant because there was something new. There was something fresh. There was something different and completely distinct about the person of Jesus of Nazareth from all the others. And there were others.
Hello? There were others. There were the Pharisees. They had a desire to follow the Lord. They had a desire to do what the Word of God said. And so they would dress a certain way and they would go out into the streets wearing their phylacteries, the little boxes that had the scriptures inside on their arms and on their, on their foreheads. And, and they would pray out loud. You know, Jesus referred to them. He says, there you see these people out there praying out in the streets and they're going to get their reward. What was their reward? People would say, oh my goodness, what a holy man that is. But Jesus was different. And Jesus was greater. Because as we think of and meditate on the holy behavior of the Son of God, we cannot but realize how it stands out in direct contrast, not only to the Pharisees, but to our own wily ways. Now I really, I really did choose the word wily here on purpose. Because I grew up watching Wiley Coyote. How many of you know who Wiley Coyote is? Okay. The old Warner Brothers crowd here, right? Wiley Coyote. That animal that was always hungry, but he only wanted the Roadrunner. And so he'd go shop at Acme Store, you know, Acme this and Acme that. And he'd buy explosives and he'd buy traps and he'd do all kinds of stuff to see if he could get this roadrunner. Why was he called Wiley Coyote? Because he was devious. Thinking of all kinds of ways to get this one roadrunner. Some of you are saying, are you, are you saying that we're devious? Well, let's face it. Our conduct is usually dominated by selfishness, which comes from self-centeredness. Now, what's the operative word here? Self. You know, we can get pretty occupied with ourselves, right? Nobody said amen. We can get pretty occupied with ourselves, right? Uh, nobody wants to say <laughs> But the Lord Jesus, the Lord Jesus could simply say, as he said in John 6.38, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Here was the only man who has ever walked the face of the earth and never had one selfish thought, but found all of his joy in doing the will of his Father. And John the Apostle records this incident with the purpose. that What we're seeing in these verses here today, <clears throat> he records this incident with the purpose of shifting attention from John's baptism and ministry to the ministry of Messiah, to the ministry of Jesus as Messiah. That's his purpose. To move our attention from John the Baptist, John's ministry, to Jesus. And as noted in our text, directly to two of his own 
disciples. Consider, if you will, a word in verse 37. So look at your, your Bibles in verse 37 of our text in John 1. And it says, And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Now this is a little bit more simplistic in the English than it is really in the Greek. So, so follow along here. But the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus, keep your eyes on the word followed there. Two of John's disciples heard the message. And how did they hear the message? Let, let me, let me just interject here that they heard the message alert and awake. They heard the message with alertness and they were awake. Why do you think I'm raising my voice today at 1155? Because I don't want you to take one of these little nods, okay. I want you to stay alert and awake because the message is too important to miss. Amen? (laughs) Okay. I think I have your attention now, right? They heard the message alert and awake and without rambling minds. Don't think about the traffic going into Chico's Tacos later. It's not going to pay any, any mind to you now. Don't worry about it. No rambling thoughts. No rambling mind here. Put the NCAA out of your mind right now. Some of you are going, he oh, caught me. Listen. What was the message that they heard? They heard the message that John proclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. And that was the message that brings us to that place where they heard and they followed Jesus. They followed Jesus. Now, there is somewhat of a double meaning in that word follow. That's the word that you need to look at. There's a double meaning here for they certainly began to follow Jesus in the sense of literally walking and following him, right? So Jesus is going this way and and they're right behind him. So literally they're, they're walking after Jesus. But it also means, and more importantly, it also means that they turned their allegiance from John to Jesus. They turned their allegiance from John to Jesus. And it was no bother to John. They followed Jesus that very hour. And we need to understand what it means to follow here. Because the word followed which is in the Greek, ekolutheson, is in that language in what is called the Greek aorist tense, which means that it was a once-for-all act. When they followed Jesus that day, they followed Him once and for all. Not just once and then later on just say, well, you know what, I've, I've had enough of this. Time to go back to what I did before. Time to, you know, try something new. No. It was a once and for all act. When they followed Jesus, they had committed themselves to following Him to the death. To the very end. Or to the time when Jesus would say, come home and be with me forever. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's what it means to change our allegiance from the world 
to Christ. They turned to Jesus, ready to make a commitment to Him. Why were they ready to make a commitment to Him? Because they heard the one who had been given the calling to be the voice in the wilderness crying out, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. And they were prepared. They had heard the message and they followed Jesus. They had been prepared to want to become the disciples of Christ. We would all do well to take the same three steps that we see these disciples of John take. And there were three steps in the text that we read earlier. Remember this. The first step is that a person must stand where the word Christ himself is preached. Where were the two disciples standing? They were standing with John the Baptist when he saw Jesus and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. They were standing where Christ is preached and they had a hunger already to hear the word proclaimed. Secondly, a person must hear the word. What do we hear or see here in verse 37? The two disciples heard him speak. Literally, it means they listened intently to the message which caused them then to follow after Jesus. A person must hear the word, the announcement that the Lamb of God has come to take away the sin of the world. When we came to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it was because the light of the glory of God had shined into our hearts, revealing the sin in our lives, revealing where we were in, 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 in respect to, uh, to eternity and with Christ, revealing the fact that we needed a Savior. And so we came to the, to the message of, 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 of the gospel and to the cross and we came to Jesus and we accepted the fact that Jesus died on our behalf, that He uh, shed His blood for our forgiveness and then that He rose again from the dead. We accepted the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we must first hear the pronouncement and the announcement. And then thirdly, a person must follow Jesus. A person must follow Jesus. We stand where the word is. And I know you all are sitting, but many of you here today are standing on the word of God in your life. And that's good. I hope that many more of you who have come to this place today to learn what this is all about will make that commitment today and you are hearing the word of God today and then for some of you I hope and pray that you will come to Christ and follow him listen to the words of Jesus in John 8 verse 12 where he says I am the light of the world he that followeth me shall not walk in darkness when you commit your way to the Lord completely and totally once and for all you will never walk in darkness but you shall have the light of life what a benefit amen what a benefit that is for us to have consider if you will in the next phrase in John chapter 10 verse 27 where Jesus said my sheep hear my voice and I know them my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me Now consider what he just said. My sheep hear my voice. Have you heard his voice? Think in your own heart. Are you hearing the voice of the Lord? From the word of God. And if you hear his voice and he says, I know them. That's another blessing. Because let me remind you of something that Jesus taught back in in Matthew chapter 5. Or actually, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the, uh, on the Mount, 
where, where he talks about those who would say, you know, one day you know, there'll be those people saying, Lord, Lord, but they do not the things that I say. And in that particular statement, Jesus says, toward the end of that statement, he says, didn't we do this for you? And didn't we do that for you? And he's going to say to them, I never knew you. I, I don't want any of you to ever have to hear those words from Jesus. I want these words to be for you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. That's my desire for you. Never that things would come to a point where where Jesus would have to say, I never knew you. Doesn't that sound painful? But then consider the next phrase that, uh, that we were given of Jesus in John 12, verse 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. I, I kind of like the construction of this. If any man serve me, if you're going to serve the Lord, you've got to follow him. If you're going to serve him, you have to follow him. It's not the other way around. If you follow him, then you have to serve him. <laughs> if you're going to serve him, you have to follow him which means you have to be committed to him completely, once and for all. And where I am, he says, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. In each of these statements of following after Jesus, there is a tremendous blessing. The blessing of light. The blessing of of being known by our master. The blessing of the Father's honor. Who wouldn't want these things? You see. But here's the sad part. Two things will cause a person to miss Christ. Two things will cause a person to miss Jesus. The first is, obviously, not standing where Christ is preached. And what I mean by that is, you can be in this room today, and you could be not standing with Jesus. Because you are not hearing, but I'll get to that in a moment. The fact of the matter is, some of you may still be standing in the world, in the flesh, in self, or you are standing with those who don't care for Christ. Because all of those things will let you know where your allegiance lies. The second thing is not hearing. Not hearing the message. Again, you could be in this room and you're not hearing me. And people sometimes don't hear even in a room like this because their minds are wandering or they're allowing their minds to wander. They're being uninterested. They really don't care about what's going on here. Or they're distracted by something. Or not paying attention at all. Now you see why I'm, I'm, I'm speaking louder than I normally do. I'm trying to keep your attention here. Of course, I have a lot of help. That's the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm, I, I know he's doing his work here too. But one note about the baptizer, the one note about John the Baptist that needs to be pointed out now. John's message was Christ the Lamb of God. That was his message. His purpose was to point people, even his own followers, to Jesus. That was his purpose. 
after Messiah comes, he says, okay, guys, that's the one to follow, not me. You know, what's, what's interesting is that later on we find out that John still had followers, right? Even, even after his own death, there were still guys mentioned as, as John, uh, John's uh, disciples. And they hadn't all yet come to follow after Jesus. But the fact of the matter is, his purpose was to point people, even those who were following him faithfully, to follow after Jesus. He wanted people, in other words, to be where they could receive and grow the most. So where was that going to be? That was going to be with Jesus, not with him. And here's the reason. John was not about himself. John was not about himself. I, I, I have to say, it's, it's a very sad thing for me to say that, that too, too many times there are preachers, there are, there are pastors, there are, there, are, there are people in ministry today that spend so much time about themselves and not pointing people to Jesus Christ. Or they build ministries around themselves and around their names. Hey folks, listen, I don't care if anybody doesn't know my name. I want you to know the name of Jesus. That's what matters to me. My name can come and go. I don't want my name on anything. I barely, I barely even want my name on a business card, which I have to have, I mean, from time to time. But that's not what's important to me. What's important is, do you know Jesus? Because that, I'm here to point you to Him. John was not about himself. He was about humility. John was thrilled that his disciples went after Jesus. He was excited that they, that these two disciples, I would, would hope there were more, but he was, dis, I mean, he was excited that two of these disciples were following after Jesus. John was not competing with the Lord. John was not saying, well, you know, well, Jesus, you're just starting out your ministry. I've had mine for a little while and I've got these guys here, you know. No, there was nothing about competition. He knew it because that's not what his, this whole thing was about. His whole thing was about pointing to Jesus. And as soon as Messiah came, he said, there is the Lamb of God. You follow him. There's one thing that I have in my heart every time I come to this pulpit, every Sunday morning, Saturday night, Wednesday night whatever night it is that we have public meetings here. It is the words of John, which we will see later on, but I'll show them to you sneak peek today. These are the words in my heart and my mind at this pulpit. He must increase and I must decrease. I know that I've, I've been stating strongly the message today for a reason. But it's not to impress you. It's not to make you look at me. I truly want you to know Jesus. I don't want you to know anything or anyone else more than knowing Jesus. Because no one else died for you. No one else shed his blood for you. No one else conquered sin and death for you but Jesus. I'm here today. I might not be here next week. You understand? 
I'm not what's important. Jesus is. He must increase. I must decrease. And this should be the purpose of every servant of Christ. He should always and ever point others to the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God, the sin bearer. The Lamb of God, the perfect example. Every servant of Christ must decrease. And he, Jesus, must increase. And so, as we move on, in John one thirty eight, then Jesus turned. So there's the picture. You see Jesus walking, and then his disciples are following him, and he turns to them. I'm sure he knew that they were there. He turned, he saw them following, and he saith unto them, What seek ye? What seek ye? In the best modern terminology, what Jesus asked them was, What do you want? But in a nice way. Okay? In a nice way. You know, sometimes you have kids after you, and, Mama, Dad, Dad, what do you want? <laughs> that wasn't what happened here, okay? What are you seeking? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted master, where dwellest thou? By the way, where are you staying? That's kind of the question here. And he said unto them, come and see. What is that? Come and see. What is it? An invitation. It's an invitation. Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. I'll explain the time frame in a moment. Uh, one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So now we have the identification of one of the, uh, uh, of the uh, disciples of John. He first findeth his own brother Simon. Now, you know what that tells us is that he went out. It indicates that he actively went out to look for his brother. Take note of that if you wonder, what can I do to be a witness for Jesus? <laughs> Actively seek someone. And he saith unto him, we have found the Messiah, which has been interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Underline that if you really want to know what the goal is in all of this evangelism that we're to partake in. Bringing people to Jesus. He brought Peter to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. So here is this wonderful picture showing the great eagerness of Jesus to reach men and to help them in their coming to him. Folks, we need to remember something. We don't save ourselves or we don't even have any real part in, in saving ourselves. You know, it, it, the Lord doesn't need our help to save us, does he? Right? Okay, the Lord doesn't need our help to save us. We need his help. We need his help all the time to save us. Because the only thing that we bring to our salvation... Is sin. 
That's it. That, that's not anything to be proud of. So he does all the work. And Jesus is eager to reach men and to help them in their coming to him. So Jesus turned to face them. And this was a clear demonstration of his openness, his willingness, his eagerness for them to join him. And he asked them, what are you seeking? You know, he, what's important here is, he, is what he didn't ask. Jesus did not ask them, whom are you seeking? He didn't ask them that. Who are you seeking? That wasn't his question. But what are you after? What are you after? He wanted them to define their purposes and goals. You know, I think this is a wise thing for us to do. To ask ourselves the question, why are we here this morning? Okay, now it's afternoon. Why are we here today? For those two, for those two disciples, Andrew and the other disciple, were they seeking a revolutionary leader to overthrow Rome? Because if they were, they were following the wrong guy. They needed to go to a different group. They needed to go to the group called the Zealots. Do you, do you see the importance of the question? Why are you here today? And the fact is, Jesus asked the basic, the most basic question of life. This is really more significant for us in understanding why Jesus asked this question in, in the original languages here rather than in, in, in English. Because in English it just says, yeah, what are you looking for? But what are you seeking? Are you seeking meaning, purpose, significance? Are you here because you're seeking a religion of self-improvement and human development? Are you here because you're seeking rules and regulations and laws of righteousness, which ends up just being legalism? Do some people seek fellowship and companionship? Sometimes in some churches, they only go for that. You know, the Lord is secondary. Do some people seek deliverance from trials and troubles and suffering and afflictions? Are others seeking approval and acceptance of God? Or as so many today, are, are, are people seeking blessings of prosperity from God to have so much in this life? Are we already blessed by so much in this life? Or are we seeking His, His true care, His provision, and His security? What are we seeking? I find it interesting that when Jesus asked a question, they asked him a question back. Which tells me they were good Jews. The question they immediately asked Jesus was, Rabbi, where do you dwell? Where are you staying? And again, the English doesn't give, us, doesn't give the impetus that we need to see. Because first of all, it could have been this. They had never met Jesus before. 
Yet they, they called him master and teacher, acknowledging his position now as their teacher. So they may have been suggesting seeing him later at a more convenient hour of the day. You know, where do you dwell? We'll come back later. I know you're a busy man. You're going here and there doing all kinds of stuff. So, you know, we'll come back later. Or more directly, they were asking to join him in a quiet of his home to open and pour out their hearts to him and for him to begin to teach them. Well, think of this. It tells us that the hour was the 10th hour of the day. And that was more likely the Roman hour of 10 a.m., which means Jesus invited them to spend the day with him to answer all their questions for the day. But it was an invitation. He says, come, come and see. But there's something more important that we need to consider in that question that they asked Jesus. Because John the Apostle here uses the word meno, M-E-N-O, which is uh, the Greek word for dwellest or dwell. He uses it, John the, the writer of the gospel, he uses it 66 times in his writings. 40 times he uses it, uses it in the gospel of, uh, in, in John's gospel, 23 times in 1 John and 3 times in 2 John. And while the word does mean to stay or to dwell in a place, a few times it means to last or to continue, but more often it has a theological connotation. The word meno has a theological connotation, which means to remain, to continue, and to abide. To remain, continue, and abide. And I favor the word remain a lot. I like that word remain for this word meno. Because it reminds me of what Jesus says in John 15. It says in verses 4 and 5, John says, or I should say Jesus says, abide in me. In other words, remain in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide or remain in the vine, no more can you except you abide or remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth or remaineth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. You have to remain on the vine. What a profound statement. But what a profound question by the, by, by the disciples. Where do you stay? Where do you remain? And then Jesus' simple, profound statement continues to ring in our hearts and minds today. That great invitation. He said, come and see. It was an immediate invitation. Come. He didn't postpone their request. As many times we have to postpone things because we are so busy ourselves. You know, we, 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 somebody says, hey, can, can we see you? Well, you know what? Got the iPhone. This is the iPhone. Uh, well, I got this and then. I got that to do. Uh, how about next week at uh, 3 o'clock uh, in the morning? Because that's the only time I've got, you know. Crazy, isn't it? Jesus doesn't do that. Immediately, He says, come, come now. Come now and see. 
He didn't leave them hanging. We're, we're really good at leaving people hanging. <laughs> right. Hey, can I see you? Hello? Is anybody there? We, we leave people hanging. We can't do that. Well, Jesus never did that. Jesus never does that. You know what he says? He says, come. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come. You carrying burdens today, folks? You came into this place with burdens? What is Jesus saying to you now? Come unto me. How about Isaiah 1, verse 18? Come now. When? Don't whisper. Come when? Now. Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. Come now. When is salvation? Now. What about Isaiah 55, verse 1? Ho, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. Come to the waters, the the waters of refreshment, the waters of salvation. Come now, and he that has no money, come and buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. What an interesting verse of Scripture. It says, come and buy, but you don't need money. Why? Because the price has been paid. But it was a tremendous price, the blood of Jesus Christ. Yet he says, come, come and buy what you need. And then lastly, Revelation 22, verse 17, and the spirit and the bride say, come and let him that heareth say, come and let him that is a thirst come. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsting after righteousness? Are you thirsting after something that's better than whatever this world has been offering to you? Are you thirsting and hungering for righteousness because you've seen too much unrighteousness around you and you're tired of it and you're sick of it? Are you thirsty for Him? Then you come. And whosoever will, let Him take the water of life freely. Jesus gave the invitation and there was a response, a decision. A decision is made at this invitation as we see in verses 39 and 40 of our text. Look at those verses, if you will, and notice what it tells us in a nutshell. It says to us, they came and saw and abode, which means they remained. They came and they saw and remained. Look at your Bibles, not up here. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day. Verse 39. They came and they saw and they remained. That's better than Caesar. Remember Caesar's great statement? Veni vidivici. I came, I saw, I conquered. The disciple of Jesus says, I came, I saw. I stayed and I followed and I remain. I remain with Jesus. First of all, we're given the name of one of the the disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. But who's the other disciple? Well, the other disciple is more than likely John the Apostle. 
There are a few reasons to consider this. First of all, from this time on, John speaks as an eyewitness. Secondly, we have no other account of his, uh, in his gospel on his call to discipleship, so this was it. And then thirdly, on seven other occasions, John withholds his name. So we're pretty sure that the other disciple here is John, the apostle. And something that kind of can coincide with all of this is, of course, that Andrew had a brother named Peter, and that the two, Andrew and Peter, were brothers who were fishermen, as were John and James, brothers. And, of course, James will come as well to Christ. So they were both partners, uh, both families were partners in a, in a fishing business, as it were. So uh, there's some consideration then that Andrew and John were close enough to have become disciples of John to then become disciples of Jesus. So these two men, accepted the invitation of Jesus. And to understand fully that invitation, once again, come and see, is more literally, come and you will see. Come and you will see. I can tell you that in over 40 years of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I have seen the Lord do great and mighty things. Sometimes uh, they might be great in scope. Most of the time they're simple things, but they're profound in the results. Healings, deliverances, provision. But to me, the most important thing that I have seen God do is change lives. And no one can do it better than Jesus. Come and you will see great things. And Jesus was talking about much more than just seeing where he lived. He was talking about seeing the truth and learning of him. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. I'm running a little late. That's okay. Don't worry. Time is just time. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When we came to the Lord, we were in darkness. And when God shined the light and revealed our hearts to be so full of sin, the first thing we knew is that whatever it was that we heard about Jesus, that's where we needed to go. And then the light even shined brighter because then we saw Jesus and the glory of God in Jesus. And then we saw the glory of God in the cross. And we saw the glory of God in the work of the cross. And then we saw what Jesus did in the shedding of his blood and in the, in the giving of his life. And then in defeating all of that, with his resurrection. Isn't that the knowledge that we need every day in our lives? And God gives us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That's why John was glad that his disciples would now follow and grow in Christ. Andrew and John would remain with Jesus They would remain by his side and they would remain by his presence. But the story doesn't end there. There are others to bring to Messiah. 
And so we look at verses 41 and 42, and it says, He, Andrew, first findeth his own brother Simon. Two things. He first findeth, which indicates that he goes out to look for him. And then when he finds him, he finds someone who is also being prepared, because it says, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. We have found the anointed one. And he brought him to Jesus. He brought him. He says, you need to come. You need to come and stand where I stood. You need to come and hear what I heard. And you need to come and be changed like I'm changed. And when Jesus beheld Peter, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. What is really significant about Andrew is that whenever he is mentioned in John's gospel, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. This is cool, man. I mean, it's groovy. Okay, I know I'm going back to the early 70s and stuff. But it's cool. Really is. Every time Andrew's mentioned in the gospel of John, he's bringing somebody to Jesus. John uh, chapter 6, verse 8, he brings a little boy with the loaves and the fishes. Do you think it's only the little boy and the fishes that matters? What about all the people that ate of, of, of his lunch? More than 5,000 men. Add to that wives and kids. That's a lot of people from just a little few loaves and fishes. But Andrew brought the boy to Jesus. How about in chapter 12, in verses 20 and 21, where Andrew brings the Greeks who wanted to see Jesus. What a wonderful example of personal soul winning, of someone going out to say, you need to come and see Jesus. We don't have any of Andrew's sermons recorded in Scripture, but he certainly preached great sermons by his actions and outreaches as that personal soul winner. You want to be a soul winner? Bring people to Jesus. He said, we have found the anointed one of Israel. That was his message to Peter. The idea of the anointed one comes from the Hebrew scriptural practice of anointing priests and kings with oil. This was symbolic of the spirit and pointed to the future of one who would come. Andrew's great statement suggests that even Simon Peter was in search for the truth of Messiah. But it has to be said, and I tell you, this is so important. It has to be said that in bringing Simon Peter to Jesus Christ, no man did the church a greater service than Andrew. Because have you read the books of Peter? Have you heard the messages of the sermons that he preached in Acts chapter 2 and 3 and following? And the things that Peter did in giving his own life for the, for the sake of Christ? Oh, listen. Simon was Andrew's fruit. Reached for Jesus. And reaped for glory. In verse 42, we're told that Jesus beheld Simon. That word means to look upon with an intense, earnest look, to concentrate, to stare and to gaze upon and into, while Jesus looked into the innermost being of Peter. And I want you to note the words, Thou shalt be called, because they refer to Peter's future. Simon's name would be changed to Cephas. In fact, it was Cephas already, because Peter and Cephas mean the same thing stone. This was a prediction that he would be changed and converted from a self-centered, defensive, overbearing, and carnal man into a strong, solid, immovable, and unbreakable rock for God. And he even shows that somewhat in the gospel itself, because in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, 
after Jesus has asked the question to his own disciples at Caesarea Philippi, where they are there at this big, huge rock stone that some of you that have been to Israel have seen. And Jesus posed the question, who do men say that I am? And then he says, who do you say that I am? It was Peter who said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That was the solid rock of his confession. Certainly Peter had a lot of ups and downs, just like we do. But he was solid. And a solid follower of Jesus. Now consider yourselves. Jesus has seen us from beginning to end. From end to beginning. He has known our potential from the very beginning. And yet he longs to change us to make us everything that we can become in him. I told you that this was going to be a very personal study on our own witness and testimony. But it has to begin first for some of you with a question. When is the time to come to Jesus? Let's remember the invitation has already been given. Jesus said, come and you will see. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Come and take from the water of life freely. Come. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. Have you come to Jesus? But many still have, the, have to answer Jesus' question. What do you seek? What do you desire in following Christ? Do you seek the favor of God and eternal life? I hope you do. Because if so, He's invited you to come without delay. Now some may ask the question, well, when is the good time? Or when is the right time? Well, we've already answered that question, but to close, I want you to look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Quoting from the Old Testament, he says, For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee, which means I have helped thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now. My only question to you, and I don't ask this uh, in any way, shape, or form, but in, in, in a most humble way. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for if you have not come to Jesus Christ? If you have not responded to his invitation, I encourage you to respond to him today. I encourage you to come after we sing a song here in just a moment and we'll have some people up here in front. You come to one of them and you say to them, I want to respond to the invitation of Jesus. I want to come to him. What a day this will be for you to know that the God of the universe, the King of the universe, the creator of all things, has your best interests in mind. Your best eternal interests in mind. Come to Jesus now. Not tomorrow. Because I can assure you, for some people going out these doors today, there may not be a tomorrow. Unless you know Jesus. There will be a tomorrow in forever.
Please consider these things as we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for saving us, for changing our lives, for giving us the opportunity, for allowing us to hear your word, to stand where the word is is preached, to, to have, Lord, that opportunity to come. Lord, I pray that you would move greatly upon the hearts of those here. Father, our salvation is, is nothing to take for granted. It, it isn't anything to take lightly. It isn't anything, Lord, to put aside. We've spent so much time caring so much about ourselves in this life that we forget that you have created us to be eternal. And I know you don't want us to waste any of eternity by being separated from you for that stretch of time, which there is no time to deal with, other than the fact that we would be separated from you forever without Jesus. And so, Father, I pray, I plead, Lord God, that you would move mightily in your spirit upon those hearts who need you today and that they would respond to you through the power of your Holy Spirit. And in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.